Welcome back, everyone, to the Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, myself, Alex Connor. And I'm back with another guest, friend, Ben Fstathis. Got that right, I think. Yeah. Ever? Hopefully. There you go. It's, Thanks it's, for having it's, me it's, a, it's a word salad. You're welcome, brother. Now, as ever, let's get straight to the point because too many podcasts, too much procrastination. For the people listening, tell them who you are, what you do, and why you do it. You can summarize it. You can take as long as you want. Go for it. Sure. <clears throat> so... My name's Ben. <laughs> I am currently the marketing manager at an edtech company called Yuka, which is the largest homeschooling provider in Australia. Um, before that, worked as a marketing director and the GM for an agency, uh, and then sort of made my way through, you know, going backwards uh, through another agency. Ran a couple of businesses, one in web design, branding. Um, still running a business today called Kodokiko. The name choice uh, to this day was an unwise one because no one can really <laughs> say it, but it's a marketing consultancy, just a small agency of myself. Mm. And I work with a few really great contractors. Uh, yeah. And I suppose that's the general gist. I've worked a lot of different jobs before that, but I don't know if we want to go in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, we might, we might kind of delve back it's, it's always good to see where it started but mm. before we do probably worth mentioning how we know each other which is you know through collaboration and work right so yeah. crystal introduced us there was a gentleman in the building that you worked with for i'm yep. not sure how you want to play that um and crystal said oh you should you know you should actually reach out to ben because i was after some marketing or some help some structure build some systems processes and then crystal's like oh ben is the person you want to speak to and we did, and you've done amazing work, and here we are. Yeah, it's been great. Um, and which, I knew Crystal through working at Vodafone, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah, so it's it's a small world. And that is a nice little segue back into maybe, and look, if it's not super interesting or you're not really into it, maybe just give us a bit of a synopsis of those early years, all the jobs or a variety of the ones that you did to kind of lead us to what got you onto doing what you do now before like maybe you got into the study and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me try and give a short summarized rundown. So yeah, my <clears> short <throat> summary is an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started working when I was, I believe it was 13 to nine months. It might've been 12 and nine months. I know that the minimum working age has changed since back then, but I worked, at, got a job at Kmart as a recovery specialist, which is essentially just somebody who goes through fucking aisles and brings everything to the front makes the aisle look pretty only for a kid to fucking come through it and destroy everything worst job ever uh, sounds amazing though yeah what do you do i'm a recovery specialist what you resuscitate people no not quite fucking, <laughs> fucking dog shit uh, <laughs> um, but i got that job working uh, at school <clears throat> because kmart was open till like nine so we just work after school and then i got a job at what was after kmart i think it was at the Turf Club, working as a bartender. No, that was when I got my RSA. I think I've been between there from Kmart. I think I moved into General Pants. I had a few different jobs at the time because mm -hmm. I you're working casual, and For I just sure. wanted to work. I wanted to get a better hourly rate or just make more money, so I would just have multiple jobs concurrently. So to be, uh, I'm not sure if it's in this order, but General Pants. I worked at Grilled. I worked at Zing. I worked at Vodafone full-time. That was my first real full-time job. I worked at um, 
this company that did like installations for big gaming companies like Nintendo and Sony and stuff. We used to work like pop-ups uh, called Magnards. That was really fun. Um, I worked uh, I think I said grilled for a bit. Mm. Uh, and then got a job working at Apple and then sort of from there started the business and then went to uni. And like, that was like, all those jobs were like throughout school. And then Apple was like, I was out of school in university uh, and then I was sort of working Apple and Vodafone at the sort of same time. There was a bit of overlap there. Oh, and General Pants concurrently, because like General Pants didn't really have any... I wasn't full-time there, but they'd keep you on the books mm. uh, as a casual worker. So again, all these jobs were like at the same time, <laughs> but you would just get like one shift on a weekend and you could sort of just keep that consistently. So for a while there, I used to work at Vodafone full-time, General Pants on the weekends. And then there was a period where I actually worked at Grilled for a very short period of time. So I'd go from my job at Vodafone straight to Grilled because it was open till 10. Mm. So Vodafone would close at five. I'd have like an hour break and then I'd go to work at Grilled from like six till 10. But that was a dog shit job because they underpay their staff on this bullshit award that they just, they got flagged for, but they still do it. It's this traineeship that they they never tell you when it ends and you're supposed to get like a 300 remuneration <clears throat> at the end. But anyway, I digress. And in that period as well, I worked, worked at the Turf Club as a bartender. So, oh, and <laughs> a couple cafes. So I worked at Cafe Lava Carts, which is no longer at Rubina anymore. But I think now where it used to be is like a popular rice yogurt joint called the Moo. And yeah, I heard of this. Yeah, and uh, and then I throughout that period of time, I sort of moved to Brisbane and I worked at another cafe called Cafe XS, which is no longer there, but it was like in front of, like underneath the food court in Indrapilly. Right. So yeah, there was like a few jobs. <laughs> yeah. So what we learned out of that is really grilled to cunts. Yeah. So um, <laughs> no, healthy burgers, my ass. No, they're, no, they're actually really good burgers. They just underpay their they stuff. They just underpay their stuff, which is not great, um, but there's probably a lot of companies out there like that. I imagine with uh, the compendium of these jobs and we talked about this and again guys for people listening the reason why we reference this is because ben uh had me on a uh his podcast as a guest so we put that link in the description as well which would be good to plug it but you know we thought about like all those little jobs right and i'm sure there's a lot of people listening and watching who have been like yeah you know what i'm going through this or i've had a few jobs but to you know saying that as some of them are quite you know you look back and you cringe you probably learned a lot of like vital skills, like little skills. Like they might not have been any of these big golden gems, but like they just all the people, mm. like the constant sharpening the sword of working with people, managing people, and those relationships. Because it's never smooth sailing, is it? Oh, for sure. You know, and you're constantly trying to time manage everything and trying to wedge it in. I think there's like there's a lot. Like in the early days, I'm like, fuck. You know what? That's just good. Like just get in front of people, just work, just sell, just learn how a business operates. Like, it really gives you a good insight to be like, oh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. But I don't know if. If that was your experience, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah, no, definitely. It working so many jobs. One of the skills I actually got was probably just how to apply for a job and get an interview because mm. you just applied. I applied to so many. Uh, it took a lot of different interviews with different companies, and you know, when you're young, you don't have a lot of experience, so it was sort of getting over that first hurdle, and then 
so I, I learned how to actually get an interview, mm. which was a really interesting skill that's only very useful for specific context. And then, but it's something that I definitely have spoken to a few people about because it's, and why I only bring it up is because well, I was literally chatting to a friend the other day about like, he was looking to get a job. Mm. And I was just like, man, you, and I'm actually hiring at the moment. And so many people, they don't read the full job description. They don't have any idea of what the company is about. They just don't do any sort of research. Like no, a lot no of background people. background stuff. Yeah, a lot of people. I get so many applicants and they just don't read the job description. And I know this because I asked for a very specific thing at the very bottom of the job description. And they didn't do it. And I'm talking like hundreds of people. Yeah. Uh, that would, that would, we, again, this was a, commonality we found like, yes because one of the things i learned early on i thought this was common knowledge in terms of i thought oh this is a bit of a heads up that's not that well like when you look at a job advertisement you basically repeat the key things in your cover letter mm. so that if anything they're like oh yeah that's actually what we want but also like they know that but then there's like this person like actually read what we wanted yes. and then again if there is sometimes they'll like they'll put something specific in and you can relay that back yeah but yeah, that's cool how you've purposely put... What is it? I'm curious. So put... at the bottom of our job description, we ask for them to send their resume and cover letter to our specific careers email and a 64-second video explaining about themselves and why they're a good fit for the role. Mm. But it's 64 seconds. Like, it's not 60 seconds. It's not 70 seconds. It's not 120 seconds. It's not like we chose that number specifically... So, because with the person we're looking for needs to have a good attention to detail. Mm -hmm. So it's not this throwaway number because 60 seconds could be misconstrued as, oh, you know, it's okay if I go a few seconds under or a few seconds over, it's mm -hmm. okay if it's 30 seconds. Like it's, it's too round to be it's an odd, specific. It's, an, it's, an odd, it's not an odd so number, 64 but it is, is weird. an odd number. Yeah, it's it weird. Is. Like that, that sticks out. But also in this paragraph at the very bottom, beforehand in bold, it says very important <laughs> And I, out of hundreds of applications, I have gotten two people send me a video. And they're not 64 seconds, are they, Ben? One of them is 64 seconds. Really? The other one is not. The other one is 120 seconds. That'd be mine. Yes. I would have sent you like an hour. But I guess no, to, go, just... <laughs> to go back to your <laughs> 10 original... minutes, come on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> but to go back to your original question, weirdly enough, out of all those jobs, I probably got very good at applying to jobs and interviewing for jobs. Mm. But there were definitely a lot of skills that I picked up talking to people being definitely one of them sales being another uh conflict resolution to a degree and just working with people like a team like it's not even necessarily the customer relationship experience it was more so like apple had 150 staff by the time i got there i probably had about eight to nine jobs mm. so you're working with different teams all the time you're meeting different people and you know, you want to make friends with these people, you're going to work with them. Mm. And so just interpersonal relationships, I think that was certainly a skill that I developed by having all of those jobs. And to be fair, that network that I made when I was, I started when I was very young has served me quite well. I've kept in touch with a lot of those people. Some of them, funnily enough, we actually share connections with Ash Jackson. Mm -hmm. I met a general pants before he was a photographer. Mm -hmm. um, Crystal, I met a Vodafone who now, you know, you were with and we work together and I, Crystal's my PT. Uh, there's just weird, a uh, Renee who I had on the podcast. She now works at Tesla. We used to work together at Klaxon. She actually helped get me the job at Klaxon. I worked with her at Vodafone. Like it's, 
wild how just trying to be uh, making friends with people keeping in contact with them has certainly helped a lot as i progressed throughout my career it's really key man yeah and a lot of people they don't and i think that's why i asked the question because all of those little contacts and you think about that generation as well or that wave if you uh, like of people that you're working with if you know some of them stay some of them go even if they don't you stay in touch with them it's just amazing how some of those relationships prosper and whether it is just hey i know a guy that knows a guy that can get you into this company or like can get you to see the right person or it's someone again that you build a relationship with that goes even further again you work with them or whatever it is so it is it's important and i think sometimes we fob those off and the past gets foggy, right? And, and we don't realize, ah, you know what? That, that, was, a, that was a really critical time mm. when you're finding your way, because everyone is. And then people kind of establish and fall and the dust settles and it's like, oh, actually, I, I know these people and they know me. And, you know, if you built a decent relationship or you like them, you know, sometimes they're like, hey, I hope you out. You're a good guy. You're a good girl. Like, let's, you know, let's catch up or whatever it is. So definitely value in it. So let's transition now into the study that sounds like what comes next or even the the direction like why did you choose to study what you studied why did you choose to go in this path that you're, you're now on was that a very clear thing <laughs> for you or was it like i actually just kind of interested in this and we'll just see how we go and i know that you've spoken to me uh, about about this uh, or about your qualification yeah, at just... other times but I, I, that's what i'm interested to for you to share it like on a side note, because my podcast is about people's career journeys, it is weird to be on the other side of this microphone <laughs> getting asked the question. Yeah. It's, did I, so I'm in marketing and I'd say that's where my career is right now. Did I specifically ever think I was going to be in marketing in high school? No, I thought I was going to be an engineer. Uh, a lot of people in but the school that I went to, it was very STEM oriented, uh, which I think a lot of private schools are. It's just, you want to be, everyone wants to be a doctor, lawyer sort of vibe, engineer for a lot of guys. I don't know if that's the actual case. It's just a lot of people I surrounded myself with. That was sort of the path that they had. A lot of them went down and was sort of positioned in front of us. Mm. So I did physics for grade 12. 10 hated that was terrible at it dropped out in grade 11 knew i wasn't going to be an engineer because you need physics to be an engineer so then left school went to uni at uq studied psychology and communications got a double degree in that and sorry didn't get a double degree just that was the double degree and didn't like it not, I think it was just because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just knew that me being in lectures didn't gel well for me. Uh -huh. I, it was, it just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I knew myself very well. So then left university. So did a full year, left university. And uh, at the time I was consuming a lot of content that was coming up. Like TikTok wasn't a thing back then. It was all YouTube videos. It was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I read that book. It was, that really sort of start, actually that really propelled me on that journey. I started, I did, you know, started all these weird, I guess, um, early ventures. Like I tried affiliate marketing. I tried SEO. I'd like to start a blog. I tried, um, 
what else did I try? Oh, I tried to start a YouTube channel, like vlogging, which I think I took it down, but I don't know, some of those videos, internet, everything's on the internet forever. So some of that stuff's probably still out there of just young Ben trying to vlog himself. Fantastic. Uh, so I tried a lot of different things and ended up going uh, overseas, uh, traveled solo around the world for three to six months. Um, really in an effort as cliche as this sounds, right? Cause I tried all this stuff. None of it worked. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I need to find myself. So I went on a trip around the world by myself to try and find myself as, as people you, do. As you do. <laughs> and <clears throat> even more cliche than that was, I, I remember that was actually the goal. Like that was distinctly the goal. I wanted, well, I wanted to see the world. I'd saved up enough money once I'd left uni cause I'd worked full time at Vodafone. So, so I'm, I'm slowly piecing together like all, right. all these jobs and everything. Um, it's a bit of a mess, but so I worked at Vodafone after I left the university full time, which was also a commission job. So that was like the most money I'd ever made. I had enough saved up to go on this trip and I just thought, well, fuck it. Like I'm in my early twenties, you know, people say that I'll never be this free again, which they're definitely right, but let's just do it. So I ended up tagging along my mates were going to Vietnam. I tagged along with them. We had a great time. They went home. I just kept going. And so traveled all around. And where, where did you go? Uh, like all the main places. So we started in Vietnam. Then I went to Cambodia. And then I went to Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea. Uh, made my way over to Turkey. Made all my way through like Eastern Europe into uh like i'm getting this wrong but it's like hungary mm. and then went to prague went to romania went to um like denmark finland sweden norway so a lot of the western european uh mm -hmm. italy france like i went through a lot of those like most of europe to be honest yeah <clears throat> and then that's great it's, you can't buy it. it's a one of the best experiences though. Oh, it was fantastic. Travel is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, made my way over to the UK's, uh, went to Scotland. Um, that's the UK, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it's in the United Kingdom. You know, yeah, and then we sort of capped it all off by going to Chicago to see my mate who was studying over that's there. That's an odd one, out. Yeah, it was a bit weird, yeah. Back to Chicago. Yeah. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I wanted to do the round the world thing. So I'd made my way like across and then... I could fly over to America. My mate was studying jazz, uh, actually classical music as a saxophonist in wow. Chicago. So I went to catch up with him. Hadn't seen him in a minute. Had a week there, came home. So that's it sort of in a condensed thing. Now, the most cliche thing about all of this was like, I went over there with the distinct idea that I was going to find myself on the way back on that flight home. I remember thinking, did I actually find myself? Like, did I, did I find more about myself? And the answer was yes. And the ironic answer is, but now I know more. I just know more of what I don't know. And I know that there's more to know. And so I was like, wow, this is really fucking... <laughs> Anticlimactic. Yeah. You're like, this is not what I came here for. Yeah, but I, I did, I think, grow up a lot on that trip. There mm. is a certain level of self-sufficiency you have to have, especially in traveling with some of those more 
I'm going to say like in air quotations, dangerous countries. I didn't go to Africa. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to you know, the yeah, Middle you, East. You, you got to be like with the more populated countries, especially around, like you said, you were heading for Europe area. You need to be a bit more switched on and street smart. Yeah. You, uh, you know, you can't be, you know, like, fuck, you know, you lose your wallet in the gym. Some nine times out of 10, it's a beautiful place we live in. Someone's going to give it back. Yeah. You know, the keys here, it's just the way it is. But like, you know, I always joke about at the gym, you know, we've got where you put the keys, the board. Yeah. I laugh at that from where I come from because yeah. I'm like, that's a free car. Yeah. Like that's ludicrous. Yeah. That's like, you want to get rid of your car, I put it there. I didn't know what that board was for. So like in EMF, there's this board where you have- It's true though. Yeah, keys. We don't have letterboxes, man. People just man. put their keys out in public. It's nuts to me. It's yeah, insane. That's it what I mean. But like, it's it's also a good thing because I'm like, that is, that is cool. But- it's bad that I think that, but yeah. that's where I'm raised. You, don't, you, 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 there's no, you're not forgiven. It's like, oh, cool, thanks, mate. Well, I was I raised in Australia, and I still think that's fucking insane. Well, you know, mate. but like, depends on what part you grew up. Yeah, in, I definitely think I grew brain. up a lot. I suppose in that trip, you you develop a certain level of self sufficiency that you have to have. No one is looking over your back. You're not there with your friends. You look you look after yourself. Yeah. Uh, and you're in a foreign country and no one's going to come and save you. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. Uh, sure, you make friends over there, but you travel for a period of time and really you don't know these people that well. I've met some great people that I still keep in contact with today, mm. but you've known them for a week at this period. And I was probably the youngest person traveling How old were you everywhere time? I went. I was 21. Mm. And I couldn't, I didn't understand it. Like I would meet these people, they're all older than me, like 23, 24, 25, late 20s, mid 20s, even so early 30s. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, what, where are the other 21 year olds? But I didn't realize until I got back. I'm like, actually a lot of- They don't have the money. No, a lot of people don't do, a lot of people are uni, they're studying mm, and well. they haven't been working full time. Like, you know, I think I managed to travel the like that period with like 15 grand that's which decent. was oh it was definitely on a budget <laughs> yeah but like, but like you know you generally do doing that when you're younger yeah you know unless you've been given money by your parents or you've invested and you've or somehow you've you know created wealth at that age mm. but it's it's good because if and when and hopefully when you do it again in the future with your partner your girlfriend or you know whatever the situation is perhaps you'll do it and i imagine you will with more finances where you might pinpoint and do okay we're just going to go here here and here and we're going to do it well and we're going to do it in more detail right you'll you'll find what you like but you might stay at a better hotel you might eat better food better restaurants and i always think that this is interesting that depicts the experience like you can go to a place and have two completely different experiences yeah because depending on your financial situation like if you're backpacking and don't get me wrong, there's a great book called Vagabonding, which teaches it's about world travel. It was also, don't knock the mic, which was also a Tim Ferriss recommendation. Oh, true. The four-hour work week. It's actually brilliant. You can read it very quickly, and it does dispel a lot of myths about, you know, people go, I can't travel because I've got kids, you know, I've got a job and this, that, and the other. And it actually talks to you how to do it in a way that's viable, where you're not actually just slumming it. Um, so it's kind of that, excuse me, happy medium. So you can do it well. But, you know, if you say, for example, you fly into um budapest and you want to do the masquerade ball like you ain't doing that as a backpacker because you need some cash you need an outfit you need to fucking get an invite to that thing <clears throat> but that's the, one of the most iconic things to do in budapest apart from maybe like formula one uh, and even that costs a lot of money all right so sometimes unfortunately the experience is depicted by the financial status and yeah. you can so so it but then again it's kind of cool because you know 
you're meeting all these people and you've got to sort of network and do what you can. So you're doing a different, you're getting a different type of experience and then you go back later and it's like, fuck, wow. Like I also have great memories from this, but now I'm like, I didn't realize that the depth like that could, I could have in this particular place. Yeah. Now I've got access to a little bit more funds. Yeah. Not to say that you have to be a millionaire, but you know, it it definitely helps. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know what I mean? But is there any out of those places, Ben, before we move on? Because, you know, again, we've, talked about like how enriching travel is did you have any highlights specifically i'm sure there was many but is there any standouts to you that you were like you know what man i really want to go back there or that was cool when we went to this place or i met these people the highlights is an interesting word i think in the traditional sense of like a highlight something i would because there's one thing that definitely springs to mind but it's not maybe what you would describe as a highlight. It was just something that happened, but I'll, I'll get to that. Highlight. Here we go. <laughs> Norway. Definitely go back to Norway. Mm-hmm. Really love yacht. I, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I hiked Jotunheimen National Park and I did the, the Bessigan Ridge. That was fucking really cool. I remember calling my mum at the top of the ridge because apparently there's incredible reception at the top of this ridge in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. Nice. It was great. And she's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in Norway at the top of a ridge. And she's like, what the fuck? And she sent her a photo. <laughs> but um, that was that was really fun. I think South great. Korea, my time there was incredible. I'm South Korean, but I'm also adopted. So I hadn't been back to the country by myself as an adult. Uh, except for when like the last time I'd gone was when I was a kid, maybe 14. Yeah. So that was an interesting experience. I had expected, I'd booked and sorry, not booked. I'd planned like three weeks of cultural activities for the three weeks that I was going to be there. And I ended up doing none of them because I would just went to a party hostel and partied all night and then basically like rinsed and repeated the entire time. It was so fun. But so then I ended up extending my stay and doing some of that cultural stuff because I did actually want to do it. That was a highlight for sure. But the thing that I was mentioned before, let's circle back around to it, was in my layover to Malaysia. And so I was here for about 16 hours. And so I booked, I like found an internet cafe and as a part of this internet cafe, I was like, great. I'll just like chill here. They have a lounge. This is sweet. But a part of the deal of like, you know, staying overnight is you got this free massage. Oh, so (laughs) it's probably not going the way you think it's gone. I mean, that's why you asked before we start the podcast. (laughs) Was it PG or not? (laughs) But so I had this massage and this, this lady ended up dislocating my shoulder oh, shit. on the table. That's not a happy ending. No. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> and so anyway, I remember she was like, she freaked out because I was like, fuck. And when she dislocated it, she cleanly popped it out. Anyway, the manager comes in and he goes, is there anything I can do for you? So I was like, how about you put my shoulder back in? <laughs> and he's like, oh, what's happened? And I was like, she popped my shoulder out. To be fair, it wasn't, I should have told her that like I had, I just didn't, uh, this was super early into when I, this probably the second or third time I dislocated it. I didn't realize how easy it is to do once you've dislocated it once. So I just didn't really even think to tell her about it. For sure. And so anyway. It wasn't front of mind. I wasn't in the country technically because it was a layover. So my passport hadn't been, hadn't, has, wasn't stamped. <clears throat> and so anyway, long story short, the paramedics came after like, three hours jesus they took me to the hospital i was like can i have something because for 
those who are not aware the longer a dislocated shoulder is out the worse it is like the faster you get it back in the better because your body's just like spasming and it's fucking painful because your bone is not where it's supposed to be yes and so but in the hot uh, ambulance they're like no only doctors in malaysia can like give uh what's the word prescribe yeah like they they can only they can apply uh what fuck it just escaped me anti-inflammatory yeah oh like the green whistle oh okay yeah yeah, like fair enough i was like okay fuck so or painkillers painkillers so i'm like all right that's fine (laughs) i guess so anyway we get to the hospital and anyway i'm like sitting there for about 30 minutes and i one of the guys comes in he's like hey man are you are you all right I was like, yeah, just when's the doctor coming? And he goes, oh, the doctor is in surgery right now. He won't be able to see you for a few hours. And I was like, the doctor? The doctor. And he goes, yeah, there's only one doctor in this hospital. I was like, fuck. And he's in surgery and you don't know anything. Anyway, so. This is when you Cut to like, (laughs) I don't know, five hours later. Oh my God. My shoulder's been out for like eight hours by this point. And. The doctor finally comes in. I think I was just in a state of just... I was past the point of pain. Like, my, my entire shoulder had been... Like, my entire arm was seized. And I was... I texted my mom and dad, just let him know the situation. Um, it was, like, two in the morning in Australia at that time. So, they wouldn't have seen it until the next morning anyway. But I just wanted to let somebody know what the fuck was going on. And anyway, throughout that period of time, the ambulance is trying to get me to pay this fee, which is like 500 bucks, which is like this weird, like, I don't know. It might've been a real fee. I just, I was in so much pain. I was not giving a fuck. So I was just swearing my head off. And this guy kept bothering me. He's like, Hey man, you need to pay this fee. Like for us to take you from um, the airport to here, you, you have to pay this. I'm like, I will pay it. When you put my fucking shoulder back in. Yes. And exactly. He's like, he just wouldn't get it. So he kept coming in. He came in maybe like six times. And I was, I just said, bro, I understand what you're saying. Saying it differently is not going to make a fucking difference. I'm just telling you, I'm not putting my shoulder back in. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not paying you until you put my shoulder back in. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, they gave up on that. And then I never ended up paying a $500 fee. So I feel like they were trying to skip me. Um, yeah, definitely. But in any case, the doctor finally comes in. And yeah, I was just so past the point of pain at that point. I was so zonked out. I was just like, I don't know, staring at the wall. And I think time just passed. And he was like, hey, so you dislocated your shoulder? I was like, yeah. And he, he goes, how long has it been out? And I'm like, what time is it? <laughs> He's like, oh, like one or something. It's like, I don't know, fucking 10, 11 hours or something. It was fucked. Like, and he's just like, what? So anyway, he goes, I'm going to give you something. Usually you're not knocked out when they relocate your shoulder because it's pretty quick. Yeah. But I was so jacked up that he, I don't, I, he's like, can you relax? I'm like, I, I, I have no motor control whatsoever anymore. Yeah. Those are probably not the words I use. I was like, I can't do fucking shit. It's probably more along the yeah, lines. You were just was. over it. I was out. And anyway, he gave me something. All I remember was getting knocked the fuck out, waking up. And he's like, it's back in. And I just, it was instant relief. And I just like looked at him in a way that I probably never looked at anybody before. <laughs> like, I love you so much. But then the drama was so this over. is when the happy ending happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But then I suppose the drama was not over because I needed to catch the flight back to Korea. So I needed to go back to the hospital. So I went to the reception. She's like, you can't leave. We just gave you like some crazy... I think it was morphine. I was just going to say, uh, you said that you got knocked out. Like we were actually out. I was out. Like, so was it a pill or what did he give you? No, Gas? he gave me an injection. Oh, he gave you an Okay, yeah, fair enough. And something. you were just like, boom. Uh, and I just remember... Uh, Do you know how long up. you were out for? No idea. Oh, uh, It mustn't have been too long because it... Yeah, I, when I woke up, it wasn't like hours had passed or anything. So yeah, fair I, enough. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I honestly, like, I could be completely bullshitting. That entire period of time was just such a blur because you because yeah. you just in, I was just in so much pain. And I think, but then I got to the reception. They're like, you can't leave. We just gave you like I think it was morphine. They're like, we just gave you a pretty decent dose of morphine. You you can't leave. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but I was pretty. I was sleep deprived. I just had my shoulder relocated after like 10 and 11 hours so i just i just started yelling yeah. <laughs> and i was by myself in early 20s yeah. and i was just like fuck this i don't have enough money to buy another flight yeah i was like and so i was just like you will let me out of this hospital right fucking now <laughs> like it is not my fault it took this long it's not my fault you gave me this shit yeah i will pay whatever i need to pay get me the fuck out of this hospital call yeah. me a cab and yeah. she was like all right, all right, all right, all right. You can sign this form, basically waiving any liability for the hospital, and like you can go. And I was like, sweet, signed the form, got in a cab, managed to get back, caught the flight to Korea. Couldn't really sleep for some reason. I just, I, I don't know what. I it was, I think it was just so hyped on adrenaline. And then got to Korea, was, and I'd booked a party hostel, and so I'd rolled up, and I must have looked a wreck. Like I just must have been fucked out of my mind because. I walked up this hill to this party hostel. I still remember it. And the, there were some guys outside and they were like, mate, <laughs> you look like you need a beer. And I was like, give me all the beers. I was like, I want every single beer. And yeah, anyway, that started my three-week bender. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, I don't know if that's a highlight, but it was certainly a formative experience. Yeah, I don't know if it's a highlight. I mean, it's definitely yeah. a... A high point. Yeah. After a low point, yeah. that took you to an even higher point. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so that was post immediately post high school. I think you know what's funny is in it's all coming back to me as I talk about it. Yeah. In that trip, the thing I realized about myself was that towards like mid to the end, uh, I didn't realize it was the end because I'd only bought a one way ticket, but like. I was constantly writing stuff in my notebook on my computer, like ideas of stuff that I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. I was kind of getting frustrated with the fact that I couldn't really do them because I was traveling. Yeah. Um, and so then that was probably really the beginning of, oh yes, I want to pursue some form of business. So that was like, yeah, just a weird thought that entered my mind as I was talking. I was like, oh yeah, I remember thinking that I was getting really frustrated by the fact that I couldn't pursue these things. But I was so attached to the idea of tertiary study and getting a degree because that's just sort of what they ironed into us um, growing up that I actually re-enrolled while I was in, where was I? Sweden. I was in Sweden and I actually re-enrolled and I went back to study fine arts and business at Griffith at QCA, which is up in Brisbane. Right, up in Brisbane. And that's when you came back. So, so then, yeah, I, I came back like, well, like that, I enrolled for like the next, I think, start date Semester. which was a few months in mm. like the future so then once i'd come back i was ready to to get started with that degree yeah, makes sense which i inevitably left after one year anyway so yeah 
Anyway, that was that, for, that was that period of time. Saying that though, uh, just before we move on to the next phase, or when you did, you know, study marketing, <laughs> Sweden and Norway, the Norwegian countries, I really want to visit. They're they're some of the countries I've not been to yet. Mm. They're apparently amazing. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. You know, based on your experience, what would you do? Where would you go? Or did you just get shit faced again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I think back, I'm like, oh. "Hey, guys, you're awesome!" <laughs> yeah, it's cold here. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I'd met, I so when I went to Sweden, I'd met a Swedish guy who's we we actually became really good friends, and we travelled a few years later together. We'd met in Singapore, and he was going back home after that but then i kept sort of kept going i was like oh i'll be in sweden in the next few months like we should catch up there so i actually went with him when i was in sweden he showed me around stockholm stockholm's just like any other city it's pretty stand- I, di- I didn't think it was that much of a standout mm. which he did say he was like you know stockholm stockholm but like we'll do fun things and i was yeah. like okay I like gothenburg is meant to be like a better uh, yeah i don't know i think like denmark was definitely more of a party town mm. um which is where a lot of them go but in Sweden, because I was with a local and I was with one of his friends, we just partied a lot. So we had, <laughs> that was another highlight, which was, we went to a bunch of what you would consider to be bush doofs in Australia, but in like Sweden. And then, but I guess it's kind of comical because I'm this Australian Asian dude, five foot seven fucking, and there's all these really tall Swedish people. And You're I'm like real out of looking place. at their nipples, like fucking nipple height. That's basically what it was. It's all over there, like Vikings. Yeah, but it was, yeah, they're super fun. Great people. Really, really fantastic. Very and hospitable. Very loyal. So did a lot of that. And then we also went on this party boat to Finland, which is probably the drunkest I'd ever been. We drank this thing called Mintu. So there was this club on this party boat where it's like, it takes you t- to Finland. You get, you don't really get off the boat in Finland. You just sort of get to, in the morning, see all the nice Finnish islands and stuff. But there's this club on the boat. And so me, my mate and his friend, who's a really nice guy as well. I can't remember his name. He was, but they're all six foot four fucking giants. Mm-hmm. We were on this club partying and he's like, oh, you want to do shots? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. But what are the shots? And he goes, well, no, no, it's really delicious. Don't worry. And I was like, all right, I trust you. You know, whatever. It's traveling. Fine. I'm traveling solo, young, whatever. Like loose. Let's do it. Was it delicious? Have, it was. It was. <laughs> it was delightful. <laughs> so like, I see. Yeah. It was a scene called Mintu. It's like this peppermint liqueur, oh. but I did not realize it comes in a bottle like this big, right? I did not realize though. It's like the same fucking alcoholic content as like absinthe. It's like 40, 50 I was actually gonna say is it like absinthe, but it tastes incredible. Yeah, well, absinthe doesn't. Yeah, no. they can strip paint with that. So. So it goes down easy. It went down easy. Did not realize how alcoholic was it was. And I probably had like 11 shots. Ooh. And that was just... And we'd already been drinking like that entire afternoon. So it was... It was fucked. I, I won't go any further than that because like we got in like weird fights, ran into like random people's bedroom. It was not good. On the boat. <laughs> On the boat because we were just so drunk. How big was this boat? Huge. It was like oh. a cruiser. It was oh, like wow. a cruise liner. Um, And... 
this was like a three in the morning when the club finally closed. We were just so drunk. We just, I don't know, we got like, we ended up fighting each other and I, I passed out in some random person's room. It was really bad. But anyway, that was a highlight. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I can't really tell so you, you much. Just, you just basically went traveling. You just went drunk. <laughs> Pretty much. You just got drunk. What did you say? I don't know. I, I, I didn't see the Finnish islands because I was so hungover the next day. Oh. I, I didn't see the islands. So Yeah, you definitely need to go back, man. <laughs> yes, I 100% need to go back. Oh, see, that's I mean, why there was yeah. no 21-year-olds. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I went hiking in the Bessigan Ridge, uh, there was only this one little corner store and I just, I don't know, didn't have the forethought to bring food. So I ended up buying like sausage rolls and pizza from this small corner store in the middle of buttfuck nowhere which i was so lucky that it was there because i probably would have had to leave because it was literally i was there for like five days it was in the middle of nowhere and i ended up basically these italian guys who were hiking i was staying in this like lodge thing people were just sort of coming and going as they made their way through the park were uh i remember one day i just didn't have enough money in my budget to like buy food so i was just sort of sitting around i guess and i must have like been looking at them hungrily <laughs> and so they they were like hey man like not you know in italian but like hey man like uh you know you do you want to join us and i was like oh yes <laughs> no like, do you do you have any food? I was like, no. They go, do you want some food? I was like, yes, please. I cannot eat another sausage roll or pizza. And they were like, they had this like that that dried up like mix where it was, uh, you you put a bit of water in it, you know, makes pasta. It was really nice. It was fucking best pasta I think I had. But I think it was just because I was a bit hungry trying to hike and. So hang on, what did you? She ran out of money or something. You know. No, I just didn't have enough in my budget. Like I could have bought food, but I was just like, I, I won't do it because I'll survive. I'll be fine. Yeah. Um. And I wanted to spend that money in, because uh, from Norway, I went to, I went to America. I went to Chicago. I wanted to spend that in Chicago. Ah, I see. Yeah. Fair. So I mean, uh, look, at worst comes at worst, I could have bought the food, but like it was just, I just decided not to because it wasn't in my quote unquote budget. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Like a dumbass. <laughs> so you spot some Italian instead. Beauty. Yeah. But they were very nice, and that was very, yeah, very kind hospitable. Of them. Yes. It's all about food with the Italians. Yes. But I should definitely go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should, mate. This time, don't get as drunk as often. Incredibly and unlikely don't dislocate to happen. your shoulder. I don't know if I could do that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, Zach. Yeah. So let's talk about now then your studies in marketing. So you came back. Yep. You did the fine arts for a year. Yep. Fine arts and business. You pissed that off. Yep. So marketing, I never studied marketing. I only studied, <clears throat> well, technically I only studied it once as part of my business degree, mm. which small brag, I did top that course. So must've been something. Yeah. But I, going back, <clears throat> arts has always interested me. Fine arts degree was mm. actually quite interesting. And had I had the patience for university and had I felt that it was teaching me skills that would make me money because I was just very money hungry back then. I still am to a degree, but incredibly so i probably would have stayed but i said to myself going into the degree that i wasn't going to let it stop me from starting a business and i wasn't going to let it stop me uh, i wasn't going to let it get in the way of that business so throughout that period i was working at apple and i met my business partner 
who we then started a business together that business started to do reasonably well i didn't really like university going up to brisbane doing the commute what didn't think that it was teaching me anything valuable that would help me make more money so i left uh but it took an extremely long time to get to remove the draw to tertiary education to the feeling that i felt that i needed a degree to just make it i guess because mm -hmm. i had not learned the skills I, well, I had just hadn't seen it in practice, I suppose, for myself, where I had all these people who were so far above me, like Tim Ferriss, reading their content about how you can do it without the degree. But I hadn't been able to prove that to myself yet. And so it took me an extremely long time to get over the fact that I did not need to go to university to succeed. And so I left, but I left because I'd made that promise to myself. But for a couple of years after, I'd still you know, I, there was a lot of doubt. It was like, Oh, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should study. Maybe I should get a degree. It's like, I'm not doing that well. Like, you know, but anyway, the business started to do reasonably well. We had a couple of business partners. We used to be called brief digital. Um, we started with websites and WordPress and anyway, long story short, we dissolved that business and, um, I got, ended up getting a job at a marketing agency called Claxon. So yeah, that was a hell of an experience though. So, yeah, that was that sort of weird intersection, intersectional period of between like university and then landing in marketing. Mm. Um, I was actually talking to Jacob before. It was very much a case of we'd started a web design business. We built websites for clients. The clients, the websites that we had built for clients, I was unhappy with because they looked shit. Like the client was very happy, but they had no branding. They had no conception of what branding even really was. There was no mm. specific boundaries on logo, on the fonts, on like so typography, on colors, on brand messaging. There wasn't sort of any of that. And so then the, the there wasn't very little photography, creative direction. So the websites we ended up building, while functionally stable and obviously and delivered to the contract, were not things I like to highlight on our portfolio just mm -hmm. because I just didn't think they looked very good. So then we moved into branding and I got introduced to, you know, this, a lot of free content from what is now the future when run by Chris Doe, I just consumed hours of his content. Uh, and so then we went into branding and then from there, some of our clients started asking us about PPC. So Google advertising and, you know, being young entrepreneur, they're like, have you got any experience in this? I'm like, yeah <laughs> i'll give it a go no but <laughs> we can try and so did the free google certification which was, was free back then it's still like the academy is free but i think the certification now you have to pay for it did the meta or well, this wasn't meta back then it was facebook the facebook blueprint which the certification again was free back then now you have to pay for it um so just trained ourselves up youtube had one as well apparently I was listening to um, yeah. a guy the other day. It used to be free. They don't have it anymore. It used to be make you YouTube certified for like editing videos. Like oh. if you could like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you could like teach it, but it doesn't exist anymore. Sounds like a similar thing. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it might've gotten indoctrinated because I know the, the Academy, so YouTube's uh, or Digital Garage, like their training tool. It's like a test as well. Uh, once you did they it, have you know. a YouTube component as yeah. well. I don't know if it's in regards to video editing specifically. I think it's more in regards to advertising, but 
um yeah it, it might have just got absorbed by that but now you have to pay for all these things anyway we did a lot of the free certifications we had a few clients that w was really what got me my first foot in the door in regards to marketing and then ultimately that business completely destroyed me i think i had two three maybe mental breakdowns i was getting this pain in my sternum um burnt through a couple of relationships uh you know, which I don't feel great about, but it's like, I, I was getting this pain in my sternum and I remember talking to my psychologist about it. I, I got a psychologist because I was really concerned. And I was like, I saw my doctor and he referred me to a psychologist and I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't feel ill. It's not like I need to take a shit. I just like, <laughs> I, what, what is going on? It's just, it's just visceral pain. And she's like, how much sleep are you getting a night? I'm like four hours. And she goes, that's stupid. <laughs> Get some sleep uh do you exercise no completely neglected my health throughout that entire period yeah and lost relationships and just yeah destroyed myself anyway came out of that got a bit of sleep the pain subsided i was just overstressed over anxious fucking probably depressed hyped up on caffeine yeah i just did you smoke as well yep so the whole nine yards and ended up being a complete vegetable for probably like luckily enough i had enough money to sort of live off for about six months um but i was a vegetable for six months i remember my roommate who's still my roommate today he came used to go to work come home and i was in the same spot on the couch every day for like six months straight and he goes and after i think maybe the fourth month he's like dude are you okay and i'm like no <laughs> I'm not okay. It took him four months yeah. to ask you that. I would have said that on the second day. Oh, you lazy fuck. What are you doing? <laughs> no, I don't know. We, well, he knew about it, but he's just like, yep. he, he started like, cause I told him about it. Cause we just lived together, but he started to get really concerned and I was you know, to his yeah. credit. But I was like, look, man, it's fine. Like, I'm just, I can't, I don't feel motivated to do anything. I was just completely, so you'd completely burnt out doing work. I just was so tired all the time. No motivation. You had chronic fatigue. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think chronic fatigue is more... Uh, I don't want to go into that. Uh, mm. It's... Uh, I'm not a doctor. The... <laughs> I don't know shit about that. Um, but anyway, it was just bad. So I started getting my health back on track. Things started to look up. And then I started... I remember I woke up one day and I felt a little bit more motivated. And I was like, oh, okay, this is good. But my psychologist was like, don't do anything. Like, you may feel a little bit motivated, but you're not fully there yet. You need to, you need to stop. And so, yeah, I stopped. And then... Throughout that period, I'd left my job at Apple to pursue the business full-time, which was a lesson in and of itself. And it got, when I felt like I was ready to get back out there again, I just applied to a bunch of different agencies, like a bunch of different jobs. I was like, I need a job. I don't have it in me right now to start another business. And I don't even know what that would look like. And yeah, I guess I'm like remembering all these weird details that I don't know if we want to go into, but like I got this job at Claxon. I actually ended up turning it down because my first, my one of my really close cousins died. And then, so I was just processing that. And then he was really young. He was like 26 at the time. So yeah, he was really young. Yeah. And then I ended up reapplying and I was like, Hey, sorry. Um, can I have that job? <laughs> like that but they actually ended up get, i had had another interview i was like i'm sorry like my cousin died i was going through some stuff but like i'm ready to go yeah. and anyway thankfully they actually 
gave me a job um funnily enough we well weirdly enough brett we took that interview which was a co-founder of klaxon and he is now the ceo of the company i work for yuka which is yeah kind What's of a his weird... last name campbell i know brett campbell yeah. i had a meeting with him when i first came to australia yeah he, he offered me a job <laughs> <laughs> and i was like nope <laughs> because i didn't want to work at a gym and because i was like i gotta yeah. pay rent <laughs> well yeah he used to run a gym franchise yeah <clears throat> he goes out with um emily who was a pt at yes. for a while yep and, i yeah, see it still see her around in the mornings yeah Brett, he's he's uh he's a good guy he's done well for himself very much so why um, klaxon i just i don't know the horn what it's klaxon a is a horn is it because i'm like it's what? like cut through the noise honestly couldn't have had a better starting place it was an absolute fucking cesspit in regards to like the pressure that we were under as in that company like digital strategist is what the job title is called in a lot of different agencies these days but that jargon is used really interchangeably like the responsibilities of a digital strategist is quite varied when you go from agency to agency there will there are definitely areas of commonality especially in paid advertising but it can be quite varied in regards to responsibilities at klaxon we did everything it was creative briefing so we had a creative team but we had to creatively brief we had to set the direction the strategy we had to set the media strategy we had to do the media buying the planning and the like the actual implementation so link not just media buying in the sense of putting up an ad we also had to like set up landing pages we had to integrate those pages using you know third-party platforms like zapier crms like zoho active campaign pipe drive like we it was a f and and while also maintaining the client relationship it's not like that at klaxon anymore um it's a baptism of fire by the sound but it was a baptism of fire 100 percent. they were a smaller business at the time and the digital strategists while most bigger agencies will have separate teams for like client relationship media strategy media buying uh, creative, etc., and they saw we were doing all of it, and you're managing ten clients. So at the time, it was ten, but that sort of would fluctuate depending if you lost them or if you had to take on more, if you wanted to take on more. But I think I really hated it towards the end. But in retrospect, I'm very grateful for that company, for that business, for that experience, because I would not be where I am today without the people that helped me in that business. Like I met Brett, he mentored me. I still think he mentors me, but hopefully he doesn't listen to this. I don't want him to get a big head. I met another guy, Jake, I'm very good friends with. I learned a lot from those people. I was working with the other, the other benefit of it was that I, in order to exist in this environment, you had to be pretty fucking good. We went through, I think it was like 20 plus people in one year of like these new hires. They could not hire people. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. It was kind of a toxic workplace in, in a sense. Yeah. But at the same time, you could not survive unless you were good and you were willing to put in hard work. Like I just, I, we were working until fucking like 9, 10 p.m. pretty regularly. It was just insane. And I met... um halfway through the they hired a chief strategy officer greg who again taught me a lot like i just met some fantastic people and you're working side to side with these people for more than eight hours a day 10 12 hours a day sometimes and like they're just so experienced so good at what they did and 
I learned fucking so much, ridiculous amounts from from that experience. And so then afterwards, I went out, I became a marketing director, <laughs> which is kind of stupid, <laughs> but realistically, it was I wanted the leadership experience, and so I went I went after it and I got it. It was kind of. It was kind of nuts, but that time at Claxon was insane. It was fucking insane. It just sounds like it was a lot of volume. Yeah. And because there was so much variety in all aspects of it, it just really made you love a lot, for lack of better words. Yeah. So you were able to apply for something like this. <clears throat> yeah. Because you need to know all those areas, right? Yeah. And you need to be able to do them well. You need to be efficient at it. Yep. Um, because at the end of the day, you got to get the job done, right? Yeah. <laughs> if people are paying you big money, you got to deliver. Yes, very and much. You got to so. know how it works. And as you explained, you know, and this is something that still has my mind in knots. Like I've learned a lot from you, and I'm still getting my head around it. But just all of the integrations, all of the things that you've got to consider, you just think, wow, like wh where I started with all this. I'm like, man, it's like dropping a pebble into an ocean and seeing it ripple, and it's just there's just so many things. At the same time, there's a lot of bullshit. Yeah. As yeah. well. But there are a lot of critical things which do add up. Yes. In this space. So you got this marketing director role? Well, so technically I started as a senior digital strategist. Senior. And was this now at another company, not Claxon? Or did, was this so, at Claxon? Yeah, no. So as, at Claxon, I was a digital strategist. And then mm -hmm. I moved into a senior digital strategist. And then I moved from Claxon as a digital as a senior digital strategist to another company, which was at the time called Top Tier Marketing as a senior digital strategist. Mm -hmm. But I was only a senior digital strategist there for about three to six months. And then I became the performance director, which then we eventually changed into the marketing director, which I was the marketing director for 18 months. And then I became the GM for about three or four months. How did it go down with Brett when you left Claxon, considering you had a close relationship with him? Did it, was he happy for you to fly or, or was he a little bit like bot hurt? At Brett's time? always been very supportive. I think he was disappointed that I didn't share with him before I actually made the move. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, I was probably just so tired, immature, and I was just going after it constantly back then, which, you know, I was still going after it now, but I was, it, it was immaturity and... Well, I just wanted it and I felt like I could get it. So I wanted leadership experience, but I was 23, 22 at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh no, 23, I'd be 23. Um, and rightfully so, they didn't give me leadership because they were like, no, you're not ready. And that was really, to be fair, the right, the right call. Like that was based on their experience. What I don't agree with was the explanation they gave. Which is what I was not, which is not what, sorry, what I was not happy with, which mm -hmm. is really like, you know, basically you need to grow up. But I, there, there's no actionable steps past that point. I'm not saying, I'm, not, I'm also not saying Brett said this. Brett was a yeah, co founder. Sure. He was not necessarily as involved in the business. I just asked him to mentor me. Like he was involved at a very, very top line level. It wasn't super actionable. So I'm not taking performance reviews with him, for example, for sure. right? But I think he was just disappointed that I didn't come to him first and talk to him about how I was feeling. But again, it was just like, go, 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 go. Like sort of almost fuck anybody who's helped me. I was, it, it wasn't intentional that way, but it was very much it a was, case of, I wasn't thinking about it. It sounded like it was the environment you're in as well. It was all just so fast paced. Very much so. <clears throat> but look, I think the reality was 
yeah, he was supportive about it. He was just disappointed that I had decided to make this move without asking him mm -hmm. and telling him about it because I think he would have tried to move things along. Mm -hmm. um, but look, ultimately, I was would not be in the position I am now had I not left. He, he would probably, I've spoken to him about it. He'd probably disagree that I wouldn't have got the leadership experience. I, I think I could agree to that. I would have had I stayed eventually. But would, a, would I have had the experience that I had managing an entire agency of up to 20 people? No, that's just not, that's not the case. I would not have had that experience. Um, so I think it all worked out in the end. It mm. was just, you know, a case of a little immaturity at the time, but a very, very real willingness to very much just say fuck it and let's go because i knew i was good at getting jobs i was getting the job was not going to be the issue yeah. it was a case of i need this experience that's the next thing on my list let's fucking do this mm. so when you eventually worked your way to gm and you were managing this company like you said and these people what what did that then teach you because now you're not just doing your job you're also facilitating everyone else's and making sure that there's a cohesive you know productive environment which is very difficult when you've got multiple personalities <laughs> take it away <laughs> you're looking at me like fuck yeah <laughs> and then you're like fuck this i'm gonna go work for myself again <laughs> but it's it's value it's invaluable experience no i grew up a lot oh fuck how old were you 26 24 24 fuck that's pretty still young yeah it's pretty young i think it's from big. a i went into a smaller agency mm. so from a skill point of view again coming from klaxon and this is really not to blow smoke up my own ass or sound arrogant but it was just a case of like there was a skill there were multiple degrees of separation from where the average skill level was in this agency and where i was mm -hmm. and so it became very clear that i was not a senior digital strategist in this agency i was more than qualified to manage it However, like manage the media team at least, which is the predominant team because I, I did that first before I moved into the GM. Um, but what I, in the, so I actually asked Brett to mentor me like directly in the last couple of months, a few months at Claxon. I think it was like three or four months, maybe even longer than that, but yeah, three or four months. And what he had suggested in preparation for a leadership position was to consume a lot of leadership content. He's like, you need to start understanding what it means to become not a manager of people, but a leader of people. And so I started to consume fuckloads of books, videos, podcasts, audiobooks, everything I could, like seminars, everything I could get my hands on in regards to leadership. And so he was also an advocate for history which I've carried on for t to this day um, because what he knew that I didn't yet know until I was in the position was that when you're managing, when you're responsible for people, you will be faced with a lot of gray area decisions. There's really no black and white. And it's rare that you're going to have all of the information to make the best possible decision. But if you study the leaders of history or people in history who had to make really difficult choices and considerably worse circumstances than you, there will never be a decision that isn't somehow relatable to your situation that hasn't been made. While I'm not commanding troops in Normandy, certainly some of the parallels that run in regards to making the frameworks used to make some of those decisions that were made, which were life and death, can be applied in 
a managerial leadership environment. And those pullbacks in those moments where there isn't necessarily somebody around that you can call or ask for immediate help, especially in an agency where you're supposed to be the most experienced individual, those can be incredibly helpful. So what was it like managing as a GM? It was a step up. It was all of a sudden for the longest time it had been me, 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 me. How do I get ahead? How do I succeed? How do I make you know myself the best possible version it was now all about and what i had learned from a lot studying a lot of these great leaders of history and just these these moments these battles these whatever it happened wherever it was um was very much a case of it's not about you i think like one of the resounding things in a lot of those books about leadership is that it's not about you like if you were to draw one single thread most of them say it's no longer about you it's about the team that you're respond and the people that you're responsible for and facilitating them to be their best selves. And because I was so inexperienced, I just took that to heart and I was like, okay. And I, I made a few mistakes in that regard where I might've went over the top with how much support I gave. Cause I do think there's sometimes a limit because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And so I probably gave a little bit too much, but it was very much about like, okay, it's not about me anymore. Like how do I best facilitate this for my team and for the people that i am now responsible for and how do i get the best out of them and how do i get you know how do i care for them as individuals Mm. which is a weird it's kind of a weird line to draw because you're commercially responsible for the business as a leader of the business and you have those commercial responsibilities and they are indirectly tied well they're they're almost no they're directly tied to the welfare of your employees because you know if the business is not doing well you got to, you're probably gonna have to let people go mm. but that being said there are constant circumstances that will arise when managing people where the advice might if you care about them as individuals is likely to be in conflict with the commercial what's best commercially for the business and you know an example of that might be they've had a great opportunity come up and they respect you. They're asking you for for their, for your advice in regards to what they should do in regards to whether they should take it or how they should approach it. And now if I have my business leader hat, commercial prioritization, the advice I'm going to give is drastically different if I care for the individual. Now mm. I've always tried to skew and look, taking my word for it ain't shit. So, you know, people can find the people that I used to work with and like go reach out to them if you really wanted to, by all means. I, I've always been an advocate for like, I think Cormac, who was the, my boss at the time, he used to ask me like, oh, you know, how you think you're going? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm trying my best, but, and I think my the results speak for themselves, but you can ask the team about what they think about me as a leader because that's where you're going to get the real answer. You're not going to get it from me. I can tell you, yeah, I'm great. I'm great at leading these people, but it's like, that's not real. You have to ask the people. So I've always tried to skew in the care of the individual. So my advice was always going to be tailored to what do I think is actually best for them? Not what's best for necessarily the business. Um, but you've obviously got to tread that line extremely carefully because you do have commercial responsibilities and you have to be aware of what the consequences of those actions could be. So it's, it's an incredibly delicate line to ride but i was always skewed toward the 
the care for the individual as opposed to necessarily what is like would I prefer this person stayed in my team sort of commercial aspect of the business mm. Mm. makes sense that was a long fucking answer yeah but <laughs> I mean it's long form content brother yeah. that's what it's about but you made some some really salient points there you know because a lot of people when they're in these managerial roles which are meant to be leadership roles they don't really understand it you no. know it it becomes the very definition of what you said it's not they think it's about them yeah. people think oh yeah because when i'm at the top of the chain like that's the most important role selflessly <clears throat> you're actually looking out for everyone else or you should be you should be you should be you should be like you said facilitating their success absolutely and that happens with different relationships with different people because like you said some people need more support some people need different communication it's it's almost like a teacher in a classroom yeah it's like saying oh what we teach all these kids the same way i mean that's how it gets done but it's it, it's not really great no because a lot of people are missing out so you know a true true leader manager someone you know leading from the front leading by example is very hard to find very very hard to find indeed because it's almost like you have to not be at the front all the time it's like you have to sort of come sometimes within the group yeah you know it's like people talk about you know you look at a big company and people go oh you know it's like a top down right we have this like it's always that analogy like top down but oftentimes you have to go back to the bottom to see what's going on to kind of get on the same page like for example uh, aldi brilliant you know to be a manager there you have to work 12 months on the floor and you have to do every role people go well do you need to do that because it gives you understanding it gives you perspective then you understand what the people that you're leading are going through because like yeah i've packed that shelf i've done that position i know the problems that are occurring now when if you're at the top waving the big stick as they call it you don't really know what's going on in the business and i think maybe that goes back to your um experience with klaxon like you you said it's obviously changed now but back then you did everything it sounds like you did all the roles and you were doing all the, the basic components of your role so no one could really pull the wool over your eyes but also you had this thing called empathy which is really powerful where you could relate to maybe the people you uh you know well not i guess you weren't employing them but they were you know within the team that you were managing and you could be like okay i have a perspective of what's going on there where if you'd never done that and they were like you're like yeah but i've managed these companies it's like yeah but have you worked in this area then you would have been like not as relatable it's like yeah just do this it's like mm, it doesn't work like that yeah does that make sense yeah no definitely i think it also helped that i had a lot of shit managers which i think is something a lot of people say but there's more of the shit managers than good ones. oh yeah i can literally <laughs> list the good managers i had on one hand whereas the ones that i had that were utterly terrible I just never wanted to be them, mm. ever. They inspire you in some ways. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah. You're like, I know what I don't want to be as a manager. Yeah. That. But I think as long as you try to the best of your ability to maintain your integrity while you're making those decisions, you're not going to regret them. Mm. Well, I have certainly haven't regretted the decisions I made. They made my life harder, for sure, in a lot of different circumstances. But a great example of this, actually, just to maybe, you know, not just pull shit out of my ass, but um, would be, I remember, so one of our, she won't probably mind if I, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, what? Um, 
Okay, so there was this girl in my team who was, she was killer, like sales. We made her the head of sales. She was killer. She actually ended up wanting to leave and losing her was, it was a blow. It was a blow to the business. She was the head of sales. She was fucking great at her job, super talented just ridiculously good with people no sales training at all like just naturally just gifted. naturally gifted man she was a killer <laughs> anyway she wanted to leave we had a lot of different we had a lot of conversations actually because and this is where you know i was directly torn between you know we're losing an absolutely fucking killer employee for st- not stupid reasons but Reasons that just shouldn't shouldn't have been the reason why she wanted to leave. Anyway, I, I won't go into detail in that regard. But in any case, tried to make it work in a new position, people and culture position. Um, but the business just wasn't ready for it. Mm. And we weren't big enough and it didn't make sense. And so ultimately she ended up, she ended up leaving and I did my best to help her, I guess, find it. Well, not find another job, but like, just sort of was happy to give her a reference, you know, very much supported her throughout that. I hope she thinks that she's been on my podcast, but she ended up in a great job. Uh, and now she's doing people and culture. So it was, yeah, it was really fantastic and she's killing it. I remember she actually called me, she got offered, she took a job at a different company. And then this other huge company like approached her with a sick environment, like sweet office. Funnily enough, they actually asked, I went in for an interview at this Google. company. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's on the Gold Coast. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, with enough research and for those listening that maybe know me, probably know who this is, but like fantastic. But she felt really bad about saying like no to this other company. She's like, oh, so should I take it? Because they're offering her like the people and culture role basically, which it wasn't at the time, but that's what she ended up doing and what, that's what it sounded like. And I was like, for a way bigger salary too. I was just like, fuck that other company. She called me one afternoon and she's like, what do I do? And I was like, fuck that other company. Tell them, I'm sorry. I got a fucking dream job offer. Take that other job. Yeah. But that was a that was one of those moments where, yeah, I mean, the business, the business that I was in, we had to, like, I had to work to make it work. Right. Like I would have much preferred to be like, no, 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 you should stay here because this will be good for you. This will be good for your career. And I don't know if it would have been, but I didn't feel like it was the best move for her. And she was getting, she was really frustrated with the job and it just wasn't enjoyable for her anymore. So yeah, I mean, I think in those circumstances, you just got to support the support your people and wish them the best. They're there. They're with you for a season. You know, that's it. And that's, and at the end of the day, if you, want to see people grow you should support that if you're mentoring or teaching people there's almost this facade that people think oh well you know i'll always be the best it's like well no because if you're teaching them they should excel you mm-hmm. they should be or, or achieving what maybe you have faster because you should be able to pass on that knowledge to some degree you know it might not just be about them because again you've got a team of people but you should be able to sort of you know give them a lift up yeah. you know pay it forward if you will um so that's that's cool i know what you mean it's awesome when you do that and i'm glad she's killing it glad that she's been on the podcast too and she had some knowledge what i want to talk about as well before we get into some rapid fire though at the zenith 
of this podcast, if you will, is, and again, there's a lot, there's a lot in this, I get, I'm going to ask you a question, there's a lot in it, so I want you to kind of like strip it back, and I want you to try and get to the juice, which is marketing, it's very broad, right, marketing was once, a definition was told to me by a gentleman called Philip DeBella, he's a multimillionaire, self-made, Bella coffee that's how he made his money right started with nothing and he said marketing can be described as telling a story so compelling that you have to buy it like in summary right um but marketing is obviously pragmatically so much more than that everyone wants good marketing especially in this day and age what are the biggest mistakes people are making when it comes to marketing or maybe the biggest misconceptions and again i understand the depth of that question so i want you to get to the heart of it and you want to pull that fucker out and i want you to try and just get to the juice of where most of the biggest mistakes like are made fucking asking me what's in the ocean i'm just like ah animals water and that's where you say salt water is the biggest component <laughs> <laughs> the great white, the great white, the best killer. What are the biggest... Jacob loves sharks, by the way. Oh, there you go. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> so terrified. What are the biggest mistakes people make in their marketing? Yes, let's go with that. And and based on your experience, like it could even be just as recent. It could even be we could shorten it down. Like at the moment, you know, the, the marketing of digital era. You know, everyone's online, everyone's on Instagram, Facebook, and whatnot. And it could even just be a handful of things that resonate with you that you're like, fuck, time and again, I really see this and it's an easy fix. I'm just trying to elucidate something for the viewers as well, which I think, because there's a lot of things that you've brought to my attention and there's a lot of things that I have now learned, but it's only because of repetition and mistakes. God, okay. How do I condense this? It doesn't have to be everything. It could just be some critical things that you're like, you know what, that's a big one. That's a very frequent problem that occurs like i think one of the biggest things for me is people think that you just get a website and shazam you make money <laughs> right i know that's a very like it might be quite um it's not very specific but it's true the amount of people i speak to and like i just need a website i'm like what think you what you just get a website and it's just housed and all of a sudden you print money like no but i used to think that at some point I'm like i just need a website if i got a website it's cool i can put stuff on there people will come they'll buy it no they won't it doesn't work like that this is really top line. One of the biggest mistakes I definitely see is for businesses, for people that really want to start businesses that they care about. Not, I'm not talking about dropshippers and no disrespect to those people, but you know, I'm not talking about people who are just creating a business to, to make money for the make, sake of making money. Uh-huh. People who want to create something in their marketing the thing that often they do not understand or do not have any conception of is why. Like, why does their business exist? How does it serve customers? Mm-hmm. They are just putting out a product, hoping to sell it. And you see this a lot in the sense that there are a lot of apparel companies that just pop up because they, I really want to start a brand. That would be cool if I put a logo. I'm a pretty good designer. I can put this stuff. Like, okay. That's not a problem. And a lot of big, some big apparel companies kind of started that way. Yeah. But eventually they have to understand their why. And if you start there and Simon Sinek, this is where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And he's got a book, Start With Why. And I would recommend if you want to expand on why this is important, go and read that book. But that is the missing component in a lot of businesses, especially in the earliest stages. They they just don't give it any thought because they don't understand why it's actually important. 
but the why speaks to everything mm-hmm. it speaks directly to the value that you're giving your consumers it's why your business exists it's how you meet them in the middle how you communicate them everything should be impacted through your marketing via some form of why it should be speaking to that why and so when people don't have that they're like we have the best customer service of any other apparel business in the game i'm like no you don't because amazon exists and they're a trillion dollar company and you're not better than them like what do you do that's better than amazon is able to do it's like ah you know we i talk to all my customers personally like that's not scalable you're the founder you're not going to be able to talk to them forever and that doesn't that's not a congruent why it's not it's not why your business exists it's just like one of these usps so that is definitely one that is one of the biggest mistakes people make and i would implore everybody who runs a business if they don't know why their business exists then and they're in some form of creative very competitive space then you should investigate that more deeply if you're in steel manufacturing I still think it's important. You should know why. Like, what, what, what does your business serve? You can still make a lot of money without understanding this thing, but it's your competitive edge and it's what will make an actual brand and that's what is going to last. So, and it all really comes from why. The best companies in the world understand their why and I've just said why a lot. Five why. That's one mistake. The other mistake, <clears throat> well, another mistake that businesses would make because I kind of just don't want to leave it on one would be although that is fuck that's a good one that resonates with me i've learned tremendous value from that myself again work work at apple know who steve sinek is but continue on but i think that is a what i would call a belter i'm going to speak to the small to medium business because large businesses if you've got a large to enterprise size business a lot of the time you've already learned this lesson but i work and have worked with a lot of small to medium business and this is a recurring thing that I see in a lot of them. Funnily enough, before this podcast, I actually had a consulting session mm. and he's going with a gentleman that I've been working for for about two years. He's going through some great growth right now. But one of the lessons that we went through together that I sort of taught him was that, which is hard when you're a singular entrepreneur and you maybe don't have a lot of entrepreneur friends and you're not aware of what else is out there and what everybody else is going through, but everybody goes through this is that, those people you see that get exponential growth instantly, like really fast, most businesses don't have that. It takes an incredible amount of time. And I used to be like this. I was super impatient with why we weren't getting marketing results like and exploding businesses all over the place. But the reality is you have a good plan. You have a good strategy. You have strong fundamentals, infrastructure in place. If we're talking about e-commerce, that's things like a solid website solid visuals, solid messaging, decent EDMs, like EDM structure to bring in recurring customers, um, a decent acquisition flow. And we are providing a, a solid quality product that people want, people like, and people will buy again. You get those right. You repeat, 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 you repeat. You will grow. You will see success. Because a lot of the time people get bored. Like a lot of entrepreneurs want to like move. They get bored. They try another product. And it's like, you're, you're not qualified for this product. You haven't built an audience around this product. It's like, oh, I want to move into women's wear. You just built a menswear brand. I'm not, to say, not saying that that's a bad move at 
some point of the business journey, but it's like, Hey man, you're doing $30,000 months. Like we're not an enterprise level business yet. We haven't fully saturated the existing market that we're in. You don't, you haven't fully captured all of the audience that there is to capture within this specific niche that we're in right now, but they want to move. They want to make a change or they panic because they have a down month. Reality is you have solid fundamentals. You have a solid strategy, you have a solid plan. It will just take time. It will be boring as fuck but you just do it. You rinse and repeat. As long as you've got those things, you will grow and you will see success. And that is weirdly enough. And I say that with like a certain level of conviction. There is no guarantee in this game. There's no guarantee that you're going to see success. But the reality is for the businesses that I have worked with that just do that, they do see success because they're doing the same thing over and over again. They can, they know they're good at it because they've done it so many times and they just get better. Like it's why I think a lot of like Alex or Mosey is a great example of this. He advocates a lot for just choosing a single niche and getting really fucking good at that one thing because speciality is what people buy. Like that's real value. Generalist being a generalist is only so good and will only get you so far. And that's pretty ironic because I came up as a fairly decent generalist, but I have learned that speciality is really important when it comes to a skill set. And I think that parallels quite well with business. And that is a mistake people make. They're impatient. They want to move. They panic. They are subject to their emotions to a degree, but it's empty it's understandable to, to a point because they don't know that everybody else goes through that same thing. And the reality is everybody does. You just need to be patient with it. And if you're doing the right stuff, if you're making progress every single day and you're providing, you, you, you've got those solid fundamentals down, you just have to do the boring shit. <laughs> so do the boring shit. <laughs> Once again, consistency wins out. Yeah. It's literally, mate, I think that's brilliant. I think there's some some of the most important critical points for not just businesses, but for people to get their head around. And it's that philosophy. Let's call it a philosophy. It can be applied to everything. It's that if you apply enough pressure and time, you will get a result. Like you said, it's not guaranteed, but the probability is in your favor. But most people move, they shift, they crack. They don't apply the same pressure. They give up. Why time? It takes a lot of effort to become effortless, but it's not glamorous. Yeah, I'm realizing that answer is also in context of business, not marketing necessarily, but, but, it, but I do it, apologize for that. No, but it can be applied to it as well. Yeah. And look, like you said, top tier is good because if you start there, you can, people can kind of reverse engineer it. And I think a lot of people can kind of apply that to their own you know, situations, if you will, because I think those overarching principles are applicable mm. for, for a lot of people listening. So I think that's great. Before we run out of time, Let's do some rapid fire questions. Very quick, fun, off the cuff. You've got one last meal. You can only have one more meal. What's it going to be? Ramen. Easy. Oh, any dessert drinks? Dessert drinks? Yeah. Do you want like a dessert after the ramen? Do you want any drinks with it? You're going to have a beer, surely. Uh, it's going to have ramen on its own? Yeah. Okay. So if it's with ramen, drinks would be Asahi. Oh, yeah. Okay. Beer and dessert. <laughs> Ice cream. It's definitely ice cream. I just don't know what ice cream. I love ice cream. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I just don't know what ice cream That's is. Maybe right. Macca's ice cream. I mean, no, ice no. cream's good enough. Yeah. I'd have one of those <laughs> soft serve machines in the house. <laughs> just fucking send it. All right. You can bring someone back from the dead. Who are you bringing to speak to? 
I mean, look, the longer you think about this, yeah, not to rush you, but I'm telling you now, you'd be driving home and you'd be like, Steve Jobs. Okay, that's a belter. Why? Brutal leader would be an interesting conversation just to under- to even understand a snippet of how he thinks from the actual man himself. Because obviously there's a lot of content out there, but from actually just talking to him, I think would be an incredibly insightful conversation. Really valuable. Mm. Yeah. And I res- I've worked for Apple. I really respect the company. So, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Last one. A fear that you've had, that you've overcome, or you're still working with. What is it? What have you learned from it? <laughs> Honestly, the one that, as you say in the question that comes to mind, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, fuck, do I really want this out there? Um, never being good enough. 100% is the fear that I have had from when I was a child to date. It's something that I've had to learn to deal with and being good enough for who, for what, for like, you know, there's, there's a lot of existential questions that come along with that sort of preposition, but I am terrified of never living up to the expectation that I set for myself and that is both anxiety riddled but also incredibly driving I am terrified of it that is my greatest fear (laughs) yeah and that is why you will succeed (laughs) well we think we also as many people (laughs) and I've talked about it before right I think I mentioned on your podcast Mm. always the answer from people who strive for success and that's really the, that's always the answer it's always the answer I, i've only had i don't remember that out of over a hundred and something podcasts i've only had one different answer they say it in a different form but it's fear of not being good enough mm-hmm. it's almost a trick question at this point because everyone i get on the podcast has something they want to achieve yeah fascinating that's wild <laughs> yes everybody fuck about one person oh geez what was their answer i think it was like spiders okay <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But dude, I appreciate it. Spider's also scary. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Especially in Australia. They're too big. Yeah, they're fucking terrifying. Mate, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been real. Lions, ladies, gentlemen, Ben, Estathis, thank you. I will put the links in the show notes to below, but do you want to have a plug, you want a cheeky plug? Where can people find you if they want to connect, work with you? Uh, You can find me at karakiko.com. I'm not going to spell it out for you because I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to put the links in the bio anyway. That's terrible business. Um, but yeah, I'd love to chat. If you want to come on my podcast as well, by all means, please email me at hello at karakiko.com. We talk about careers. You can be anybody. I uh, just want to have a conversation in reg- regards to what it's like to be you and what it's like to be, well, what what it was like for your journey to be where you are and you know who you're becoming. So that's probably the best way to contact me. For sure. I'll put it all in the links below. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. This man's phenomenal. Until the next episode, stay fearless. For those of you who are confused, frustrated, and sick and tired of not seeing the results 
that you want or deserve, make sure that you click the apply for coaching button in the description below and line up a completely free consultation with myself where we can discover if it's a good fit as client and coach and take your health and physique to the next level once and for all. Thank you.